0: Coming up on the ketocam Podcast, we welcome back for the third time, Dr. Ken Berry.
1: You can stick with a doctor long enough so that they can start to see your health transformation. So you go in, you're morbidly obese, type two diabetic, and you're like, look, doc, I'm not eating the ADA diet. I'm gonna listen to you about medicines and we'll check labs and I'll do all that, but I'm eating keto and that's just how it's gonna be. If we can work together like that, then that's okay. If that doctor is, you know, halfway agreeable with that, then I would stick with that doctor because what's gonna happen when you come back in three months and your A1C is now seven and you've lost 40 pounds? That doctor is not an idiot. Doctors are very smart and it, point in that doctor's career, he or she was a good student, right? They were a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes, that's the only way to get through med school. Then when you come back three months later and your a one is now 5.6 and you lost 75 pounds, that doctor's gonna go, what the hell is going on here? This person is not eating whole grain breads, they are not drinking fruit juice smoothies, but somehow they have reversed type two diabetes, which is supposed to be impossible. Maybe I need to Google this Keto thing.
0: I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people have been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast, the best selling author of Keto Flex and the founder of Keto Camp. Today's episode, we welcome back the amazing Dr. Ken Berry, who has been on the Keto Camp Podcast two times before. So he is making a three peat today with us. He's been on episode 117, where we talked about skin tags, how to start keto, intermittent fasting strategies, and more. And then episode six, When we first got started a couple years ago when we talked about his book lies my doctor told me diabetes and the ketogenic diet thinking outside of the medical box you can listen to both those interviews after this one we'll put them in the show notes down below on today's episode we dive deep into inflammation you might have heard of that word inflammation it was on the cover of time magazine and it is the cause for many symptoms and diseases in the world And we really distinguish between acute inflammation and chronic inflammation and why acute inflammation can actually be pretty good and why you don't want to ice your body all the time. You don't want to ice a sore muscle or ice this, ice that. We talk about the dangers of icing everything. You might have heard of that RICE method, rest, ice, compress, and elevate. He talks about why that's not a good idea most of the time. We also talk about metabolic health, obesity, the concerns around dairy cow dairy and inflammation dr barry believes if you want to gain weight and hit a plateau on keto consume cow dairy and he explains why there's also an, another shocking inflammatory food that he discusses that might surprise you we get into the carnivore diet and why this might be beneficial for you especially if you're seeking to reduce inflammation i also ask dr barry what are some of his favorite lab markers to assess inflammation in the body. He breaks that down. And then we get into the conversation on cholesterol and statin medication. Should you take a statin if your doctor is saying, hey, your cholesterol is up, hey, your LDL is up, I require a statin. Well, we don't want to make that decision for you, but we do provide some research on statins and whether it's a good idea or not. Before we dive in with Dr. Ken Berry, I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Dib1717 titled, Finally, One Source for Sound and Consistent Advice. There are so many people out there on every form of social media sharing how to do keto and intermittent fasting. The plethora of data and information is not only overwhelming, it can be conflicting and confusing. I finally found my one-stop credible and consistent source, Benazadi of KetoCamp. He collaborates with doctors and experts whom we all know and all hear about and boils concepts down so we can learn. He is enthusiastic and genuine. I appreciate Ben and trust his message. Wow, Dib, thank you so much for that incredible review for the podcast. I'm so glad you found a good source that is consistent and valuable to you and you resonate with my personality. I agree. We used to have an issue back in the day of not enough information, now it's the complete opposite. We have too much information. So the job of of me, I feel like it is my job, is to curate that information, the science, the research, my guest, and give it to you in actionable steps. So I appreciate that rating and review. If you have not left the KetoCamp Podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts today. Before we dive in with Ken Berry, I want to remind you about our upcoming seven-day Keto Kickstart Challenge taking place this Monday, May 17th. For seven days, every single day inside your private Facebook group, I'm gonna go live and do an hour of teaching and an hour of Q&A. I'm also bringing in some incredible thought leaders in the keto and fasting space to do teachings and interviews for the challenge guest members. The challenge is 100% free. The confirmed speakers are Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Benjamin Bickman, Cynthia Thurlow, Autumn Smith, Dr. Rebecca Warren, Dr. Daniel Pompa, and many other surprises. There's also going to be thousands and thousands of dollars worth of free giveaways for supplements and coffee and olive oil and all things related to keto. And we're going to give those away at the beginning of each live stream. I encourage you to sign up for your free spot by heading to ketocampchallenge.com, campus bell with the k, ketocampchallenge.com, register your free spot and let's get into this amazing 7-day keto kickstart challenge which is going to blow your mind. This is the first time we're doing this and it's going to be absolutely epic. We'll also drop a link for you down below in the podcast notes. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a bile stimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's Apple Cider Vinegar Complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. I take this before my meals, I take it before coffee, and this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the KetoCam podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules and all of the products over at Paleo Valley All you need to do, head to paleovalley.com, use the coupon code BEN15, that is BEN15, at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out. Paleovalley.com, use BEN15 at checkout. All right, let's talk about inflammation with Dr. Ken Berry. Dr. Ken Berry is a family physician, speaker, Author, he was born in Linden, Tennessee, and grew up in the very small town, southern town of Hohenwald, Tennessee. I have never been there. (laughs) He received a Bachelor of Science degree with honors in animal biology and psychology from Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in 1996. He received his MD from the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, Tennessee, in 2000. Having seen over 20,000 patients during his career of all ages, he is uniquely qualified to write on both acute and chronic diseases. More and more, Dr. Berry has focused on the chronic diseases caused by the standard American diet and lifestyle and has made it his mission to turn the tide of the epidemic of type 2 diabetes, chronic inflammation, and dementia. Here's Dr. Ken Berry let's dive right in. Uh, I want to focus the conversation. Well, first of all, thank you for coming back for the third time. This is your third time on the show and I'm super grateful. So thank you, Ken. I want to focus on inflammation. Uh, That's kind of a general word, if you will, but I want to relate it to how proper nutrition, the proper human diet, keto, carnivore-ish can actually help with inflammation. So my first question to you is this, what is your definition of inflammation
1: yeah it's a great question we have to be very careful about this because there are some inflammations that are very good and useful and productive so we never we want to make sure that what we're talking about negatively is chronic inappropriate inflammation that's the enemy acute inflammation like when you sprain your ankle or you get stabbed in the forehead by your curling iron or whatever the, the redness and the swelling and the pain and the edema, that's good, that is normal. That acute inflammation is actually the first step in the healing process, right? Without that inflammation, you can't ever heal. And so I actually have a, a video on YouTube about uh, sprained ankles and the classic rice therapy, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. And then uh, every doctor adds an in on there for NSAIDs or non- in, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. All of those things actually slow down the healing of your sprained ankle or your sprained knee or your sprained elbow. They make they make it take longer to heal, and they also set you up for possible chronic joint problems because the joint didn't heal correctly. So acute inflammation is our best friend if you have an acute injury. The enemy is chronic, inappropriate inflammation. And this is almost always caused by something in your environment getting into your body. So it can be caused by foods you eat or foods that you eat that are not really foods. It can be caused by things you drink. It can be caused by chemicals or toxins you're exposed to in your environment. And they lead to just chronic smoldering inflammation in your body that's not part of a healing process. It's just your body trying to cope with this. Everyday insult of whatever the substance is that's being put in your body. And so, our enemy is chronic inappropriate inflammation. And this can absolutely be caused by things that you eat too much sugar, which leads to hyperinsulinemia, which is very inflammatory, too many grains, which are inflammatory because of the sugar content, starch content, but also because of the anti nutrients in them. Some people are very affected by this, like people with celiac sprue. Other people don't have a clinical level of inflammation, but it is a subtle smoldering inflammation that that will eventually lead to an autoimmune condition or other problems from chronic inappropriate inflammation. And then number three are the industrial vegetable oils like margarine, shortening, canola, soybean, sunflower, peanut oil, all of these things, the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is a problem, but also these oils oxidize very rapidly, not only when you cook with them, but inside your body. Remember, your body's not at room temperature, right? And so that elevation in temperature is going to, these oils are going to oxidize. They're going to cause inappropriate uptake of of these inappropriate fatty acids into your cell membranes. And then that makes your cell membrane almost a foreign entity to your immune system because it's got this inappropriate fatty acid inside the cell membrane, which is, again, going to lead to chronic inappropriate inflammation and this chronic in, inappropriate inflammation uh, almost always is going to piss off your immune system and we think this is one of the reasons that there's such an epidemic of autoimmune conditions right now is because your immune system is so confused by the all this chronic inflammation all over your body that it just starts to randomly attack parts of your body and sometimes that can wind up being you and that's the auto of the autoimmune condition. So, chronic inappropriate inflammation is a huge enemy for anyone who's trying to
0: achieve their optimal health. That's a great breakdown and distinguishing between acute inflammation, which can be beneficial, it's this hormetic stressor that could actually heal the body and make it stronger. When I used to own my CrossFit gym, Ken, I actually came across the research on why we don't want to necessarily ice ourselves all the time after a workout. I studied some of Kelly Starrett's work, and it came as a shock to so many people. I'm sure those listening right now are shocked by it, but it's interfering with this innate intelligence, and the body is well-equipped to deal with it in acute situations, similar to why we don't want to take all these antioxidants during our workouts, right? Right.
1: Right. Exactly right. And so when you try to compress the edema or the swelling, you're slowing down the healing process. When you try to get rid of the redness, when you try to get rid of the the inflammatory process around a sprain joint or an overworked muscle or tendon, you absolutely. So tendons are a great example. If you do too many of the, you know, the ropes that you do in CrossFit and you yeah. wind up with biceps tendonitis from that, you need to put heat on that. Never do you need to put ice on that. If you put ice on that and slow down the acute inflammatory process, you're setting yourself up for number one, chronic tendonitis. But number two and worse is a a tendon rupture because the tendon didn't heal properly because you've mucked around with the acute inflammatory healing process. And so, yeah, there's never an indication to put ice on an acute injury. And I know that every physical therapist and healthcare provider out there is going, wait, what? No, that there's no way. That's right. I was taught that when I was two years old in medical school and I've told 50,000 patients that over the course of my career. Yeah. Heat is the only thing you want to put on an acute injury. Never ice. Now I do understand if the, if the pain from the injury is just excruciating, and you just can't even function, then you might wanna take some limited anti-inflammatories or just a very mild pain pill to knock the pain down enough so that you can still function. But also taking just scheduled anti-inflammatories, like uh, my standard if I sprained an ankle was 800 milligrams of ibuprofen every eight hours. As an idiot doctor back then, before I knew better, I thought that was gonna somehow speed up the healing process. Just idiotic. There's no, that's gonna slow down the cascade of healing that happens stage 1 is acute inflammation that's stage 1 of the healing process
0: yeah well said it's a it's a shocker to a lot of people and i love that you started off with that i want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil i know shocking i was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years and then i came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold-pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane and when you have the proper fats the building blocks for those cell membranes all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job so you lose weight all of a sudden your cells produce energy so you feel good so we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity so i've been taking pure form to apply a $4 off coupon. That is Ben, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. So what about the role of dairy? You have a good video on your YouTube channel. Is dairy scary? (laughs) Inflammation, obesity, and uh, the concerns around it. So talk about dairy. Yeah, so up
1: until the time you're about four, five to six years old, Drinking dairy, I don't think is that big of a deal because all human babies for the our entire existence on this planet drink milk up until about four or five years old. But at about that time, our biochemical machinery starts to shut off the ability to break down lactose, right? And so the majority of adults in the world, and when I say this in the United States, like, wait, what? The majority, two-thirds or more of human beings on the planet cannot drink milk. They cannot uh, break down lactose into lactulose and glucose. They can't do that. I mean, galactose and glucose. They, they, They don't have the machinery to do that with anymore. And so it's only a minority of people on the planet who can drink milk after the age of five or six or seven years old that's a huge red flag that we probably shouldn't do that. Now, it looks like we are evolving the ability to do that for those of us who have been around a situation where we can consume milk as an adult, but that doesn't mean that evolution is complete. It doesn't mean that even if you can tolerate the lactose, the problem is is that many of the bovine proteins and and amino acids are inflammatory to many of us as an adult and so if you just can't find a source of breast milk for your infant i think it's fine to try goat's milk or sheep's milk or cow's milk if you try that try to make it an a2 cow's milk is more likely to have less gastrointestinal problems but i would strongly encourage anybody who's trying to breastfeed and can't to find a wet nurse, which a friend who's also breastfeeding, and see if you can't buy breast milk from them. That's a, in my opinion, a thousand times safer than switching your baby to formula, and a hundred times safer than putting them on the the breast milk of another
0: mammal species. So, is this also relevant to actually eating cheese? And if you are going to eat cheese, are there better variations of the cheese to have? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: So, I'll just tell you, I don't think that ingesting any dairy is ancestrally appropriate for adult human beings, okay? Now I know all my keto and carnivore brother and sister out there, I know, I know, I love cheese too, okay? But that doesn't make it ancestrally appropriate. Before about five or 6,000 years ago, the only time a human being ever ingested dairy products was when they were nursing their mother's breast. As soon as they were weaned for the rest of their life, they never ingested any dairy again for the rest of their life. So there's three components to milk, three macronutrients, right? There's fat, there's protein, and there's carbohydrate. And, The carbohydrate is the the lactose, right? The galactose and glucose. So that's the biggest culprit, in my opinion, in dairy. The next is the protein. And I think for many of us, we are either a little bit or a lot of bit inflamed from the protein and amino acids in some dairy milk. Now, some of us don't seem to be bothered at all. Others of us can take one sip of milk and 10 minutes later, you're like, yep, that was a mistake. Even if it's lactose-free milk, many people cannot ingest it or they're gonna have problems. So when you take all of the lactose, all of the carbs out, that helps a lot of people. And when you take most of the protein out, that helps a lot of people. So if you're talking about heavy cream or a real fermented cheese, then you're getting none of the lactose and you're getting very little of the protein in its native form so the reason cheese turns from a liquid to a solid is because there's a microbe that the the cheese maker i bet there's a sexy word for that but i can't think of it they use this microbe to bend the protein molecule right that's what the the microbe eats up the lactose and then basically the toxins of the microbe bend the protein molecule that's what turns cheese and from a liquid to a solid that bending of the protein molecule seems to make it much more okay with many of us. And that's why a lot of people who cannot drink milk, they can eat cheese and it's not a big deal. But I think even for some of us, uh, real fermented full fat cheese is still an inflammatory problem, a bloating problem and causes issues. Uh, I think the least offensive of the dairy products are butter and ghee, Mm -hmm. which are essentially 100% of the fat. The fat is the least inflammatory and the least offensive of all the macronutrients found in dairy. And that's why virtually anybody, even somebody with a severe lactose intolerance or almost a uh, anaphylactic response to some of the proteins in dairy, they can still eat ghee because it's 100% the fat. And so I think the worst criminal in dairy is the, is the lactose. The next worst criminal for many of us is the inappropriate bovine or caprine or ovine proteins that are would not be found in human milk and then the least offensive is the fat now there are people out there who are as adults they buy human breast milk to drink if they're trying to you know bulk up and i think if you're trying to become inappropriately muscular that's probably a good hack but so there but we don't have a single incidents. We, don't, we have no evidence in the paleoanthropological evidence that adults ever drink breast milk on a regular basis. So even that, although it, it's species appropriate, it's not age appropriate. And so when you're weaned from your mother's breasts, and it looks like the hunter gatherers did that at somewhere between three and six years of age, that's when you should be done with liquid dairy for sure. And then for many of us, all dairy except for butter and ghee.
0: So uh, let's get specific to the types of cheeses, right? Because you said fermented, but what are some of those fermented ones that are less inflammatory versus those that are actually more inflammatory for cheeses?
1: So the, the, the further it is removed from liquid milk, the less inflammatory it's going to be for most people. And so the hard cheeses like Parmesan, the cheeses that are fermented for a really long time, the very hard cheeses, those are going to be the least inflammatory for the most people. Now, notice I said least and most there, not any and all. There are some of us, and I'm one of these people, I freaking... Love cheese, Ben. I just let me just go to confession here. Me too, Freaking me love every kind of cheese on the planet. But if I eat too much cheese, if cheese is a daily food for me, I'm going to start bloating, and I'm going to start getting just a little bit of joint tweakiness, and I'm going to start having dunlap. lap. That's where your belly starts done lapped over your belt. <laughs> if I eat these on a daily basis, so for me personally, cheese has to be just an occasional treat, an occasional dessert after I've had my meat, and I think that. Many people, you know, when you first come to keto, you don't know, you know, S about F as they say on uh, Ozarks. And so you got to learn. And a lot of people are taught, no, Jesus, 100% keto is totally fine. Don't ever worry about it. But that's not true for all of us, and I think the dairy experiment is, is one of the most powerful experiments you can do on a keto or a carnivore diet. Cheese is keto. Cheese is carnivore. No doubt about it, but that doesn't mean it's right for you, and so if you're still having weird chronic inflammation, weird gut issues, just can't lose that last 20 pounds, it's time to try a dairy-free month and I think it's fine to keep butter or ghee in your dairy-free month, but you got to you got to get rid of the cheese for a month and see if that's what's holding up your progress.
0: It's such a good tip, Ken, because I've seen that work for a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be indefinitely. It could just be for the next 30 to 60 days, remove it, see how your body responds, and maybe you could start to introduce it slowly. In in my book, Keto Flex, the first pillar is I actually recommend that. Let's take out all cow dairy, let's switch to sheep and goat, even that in moderation, and let's reduce inflammation as we get you into ketosis. So speaking of dairy and other hidden inflammatory keto foods like the vegetable oils, what are some other ones out there that are actually really surprising? to people. They think it's healthy, although it's keto-friendly in quotations here, but it actually could be inflammatory for more people. What are some more foods like that? I
1: think another big one is nuts. Again, I love almost every nut. And when I say nut, I'm talking about true nuts, not peanuts. They are not a nut. That's they a grow in the ground. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, it's a legume. Uh, but I love nuts, all of them, especially cashews, of course, right? But uh, for some of us, it's just that nuts are still too carby. They have too many carbohydrates per 100 grams. And that's going to slow down your weight loss and slow down your progress towards your goal. But I think for many of us, the anti nutrients in nuts, can be quite high in, in phytates and lectins and others. Will just you'll just have continued chronic inappropriate inflammation if you make nuts part of your daily diet. I again am one of these people. If I ate as many cashews as I wanted every day, I would start to gain weight within days. And I'm tr- I'm currently at 226 pounds, which is the lowest, and I'm 52 years old. That's the lowest my weight has been since I was in my early 30s. And wow. so you can understand that's kind of a victory, right? And I, I don't work out. I work on the farm, which is a pretty good workout, but I'm not in the gym an hour a day. I'm not doing any of that stuff. And so I'm pretty proud of that. And I sure don't want to mess that up. And so I, you might say, well, not eating cheese, that's pretty restrictive and not eating nuts. That's pretty restrictive. But what I consider uh, restrictive is if I were 52 years old and weighed 300 pounds and didn't want to go out, and feed the chickens because my damn knees and my back and my head were all hurting all the time. And I was so fat that I had to walk with a walker at 52. That in my estimation would be restrictive. And so if if what you're after is your most optimal health, the most perfect version of yourself at this current age, yeah, for many of us, nuts nuts on a daily basis, right? Not not the occasional treat of nuts here and there, which is probably fine, because I think that also mirrors our ancestors' behavior. But to have think that you can have nuts just because they're low-carb every single day of your keto life, for many of us, that's going to slow down your progress towards your goals.
0: Fair point. And you know, almonds specifically, a lot of these keto bars and these keto baked goods are loaded with almond flour and almonds, and we know those have anti-nutrients and they're high in oxalates. So it's important to modify that, or if not, just reduce it or eliminate it for a certain period of time. So we talked about the anti-nutrients and, and lectins and all that. So for you, what do you specifically do with your nutrition right now? I know in the past you were doing carnivore. Are you now carnivore-ish? What, what does your nutrition look like now?
1: Yeah, I range from Ketovore, which is carnivore-ish, all the way to just pure carnivore, and uh, I'll do carnivore for months, two or three months on end, and then if I see something that somebody's eating that's keto, but not obviously carnivore, I'll be like, "Mm, that looks pretty good, I think I'll have that, and I feel like I've been carnivore long enough now, probably 22, 23 months, that whatever chronic inappropriate inflammation is still lingering, it's gone now, or at least it's at such a low level that it's not really affecting me because I think that's one of the reasons I'm at 226 now, whereas when I was just straight keto, I was stuck at 240, could not go below 240, and carnivore took me from 240 to 226, so I definitely don't want to ever mess that up because if you'll think about it, Ben, when's the last time you saw a fat 90-year-old?
0: Yeah, it's very rare, very, very rare, yeah.
1: Yeah, I've never seen a fat 90 year old. And When you start to get older, you're either slender or you're dead, basically. Mm -hmm. That's the truth of the matter. When you start looking at 70 year olds, 80, and the the older you get, the slimmer they are. And it seems like that slimness is very selected for if you wanna live to be a, a centenarian, which I definitely do. So I'm very happy to be restricted in my diet when it comes to nuts and dairy and other things. And all plants, basically, I I restrict myself from those because I want to stay. My goal is 220, and that's been my goal since I was 32. Uh, That's the last time I saw that goal. And so I'm very happy to restrict my diet in order to reap the, the health benefits that I think I'm reaping.
0: So I love carnivore as well. I did it last year for 40 strict days. I did a whole bunch of lab work day one versus day 40, and it transformed my health and my lab work. So I, I sprinkle it in now, 30 days, here, 35 days, 40 days. So I love it. Now, I want you to explain to my audience, if they haven't heard it from me, why is carnivore so beneficial for reducing inflammation in the body?
1: Yeah. So number one, carnivore, by definition, is the lowest carbohydrate diet you can eat. Right, it, and so carnivore is keto. It's just the ultimate keto. It's a, it, it's as close to zero carb as you're going to get. It's not zero carb. There's there's a gram of carb in an egg. There's two or three grams of carbohydrates in liver. And somebody asked me, should I avoid those carbs? You know, if I'm trying to do carnivore and eat low carb meat, I'm like, no, that's all fine. Our ancestors from day one on this planet ate eggs. They ate liver. They ate meat. Don't worry about the carbs in meat. And so that's number one is is carnivore is as low carb as you can possibly get. Number two, for all of those of us out there who are in some way, some degree allergic to either the proteins in dairy or the phytochemicals in plants. And I I truly think that there's a bell curve for every single one of these, right? Mm -hmm. For phytic acid, for lectins, for Polyphenols. Some of us, if we're over here on the curve, it doesn't bother us one bit. But if you're over here on the curve, yeah. it's gonna cause inflammation and bloating and, uh, and joint pain and other things. And so, carnivore is kind of the ultimate elimination diet. You get rid of every possible plant toxin, and so you're left with just meat. And I, I consider meat to be meat and eggs and uh, organ meats to be the most uninflammatory foods on the planet. That a human being can eat. The only thing less inflammatory than meat is water. Good pure water. That's that's really the only thing that none of us are at least some, to some degree allergic to, right? And so I think yeah. those two things together, plus meat is by far the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, and nobody can argue with that. If you want to put 100 grams of kale up against 100 grams of marbled red meat, you're going to lose with the kale every time. Kale is not a superfood. Beef is a superfood. Any organ meat is pretty much a superfood. Any liver is a superfood. And so you're going to be getting the most nutrient dense diet that you possibly can on a carnivore diet, especially if you're including organ meats. But, but I think it's pretty damn nutrient dense, even if you're just eating the muscle meat from, from animals.
0: So how much focus do you have when somebody's doing carnivore on balancing those amino acid ratios, the methionine and glycine? You mentioned having some organ media is ideal, but sometimes you don't necessarily have to do that. So do you put much emphasis in balancing out those amino acids?
1: No, there are things that I trust my physiology to do for me. One is to set my heart rate for what it should be based on my activity level. I don't, I don't track my heart rate. I don't try to adjust my own heart rate. I let my physiology take care of that. The amount of times I breathe a minute. I don't track that, I don't try to control and just only breathe 16 times a minute or 22 times a minute. I let my body be in charge of that. And the same goes for when I'm eating what I consider to be a proper human diet that's full of fatty meat. My body's gonna decide what the amino acid ratio should be. Uh, So many people think they have to put training wheels on their body, that their body's stupid or something. That's not true at all. Only when you're feeding your body garbage, then maybe you need some training wheels and you need to take a, you know, two handfuls full of supplements every day and you need to see, am I getting enough methionine or am, what about this other amino acid? What about this? All that becomes stupid when you're eating a proper human diet spectrum because your body's been doing this for a long time. It really doesn't need your help on that kind of stuff, in my
0: opinion. Awesome. Great sure. If you're anything like me, you probably spend some money each month on your supplements. But what if you're still tired and you just don't feel 100% well? Well, there could be a deficiency. What if there was a way to know if you were actually absorbing your supplementation or not absorbing and maybe you're taking too much of something? Well, what I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that. In this case, I'm talking about upgraded formulas, upgraded hair test kit, and consultation. And once you uncover these hidden deficiencies, you could get rid of these symptoms you might be experiencing that might be affecting your thyroid, adrenals, or much more. Upgraded Formulas is a very cool company. I interviewed Barton Scott, who is the founder and chemical engineer who helps craft all their supplements, and they have this really cool upgraded mineral deficiency analysis. So say goodbye to blood and urine tests, which typically indicate short-term results, Hair is the best identifier, and you could get that hair from your head, armpit area, or even pubic area, and you'll receive a consultation with a member of Upgraded Formulas to help discuss your results. And it's very simple. Collect your hair sample, send it in, and get your results fast. We've worked out an exclusive deal, KetoCamp Podcast listeners, to receive 10% off your order. Head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10 at checkout to get your hair mineral kit and any other supplements that you could find on their website. That is UpgradedFormulas.com. Use the coupon code BEN10. Uh, I want to transition now, Ken. Well, you have a great book, Lies My Doctor Told Me, which we talked about on a previous episode. Something I see very commonly on my YouTube channel and on the just social media, I'm sure you see it too, is you know my doctor wants me to take a statin. My doctor won't hear my thoughts on keto or carnivore, and I feel bullied. Like, How does somebody even start that conversation with their doctor so their doctor listens to them and they don't feel actually bullied in that environment?
1: So there is a certain percentage of doctors out there that are, <laughs> okay. And so I'm sorry, that's you know, just the truth. I used to be one 15 years ago. I was that cocky doctor who thought he knew it all, and would you, if you tried to bring if you tried to bring in something you'd print it out from the internet. I was like. I'm the doctor here. I don't need Dr. Google's help, okay? I was that guy. And so I, I, when I say that, I'm I'm speaking of myself in the past. There's just some a certain percentage, you know, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40% of doctors who are just not going to hear it. And so that's a huge red flag that you need to find a new doctor. There are doctors who do keto and carnivore their own self in their private life, but they're afraid. Because of their medical board and other regulatory bodies are afraid to talk about it out loud to patients. But if you bring it up, many times they're like, Well, I'll tell you what, I do keto too, and it works great for me. And I, I think it's fine you can do keto. But if you ever say I said that all night. And and so literally in the in the, the office, notice says, I'm in diabetes association diet recommended to patient and they voice understanding. But what really happened in the exam room is they told you to eat keto, which I think is for nutrition advice, but always being respectful, always being civil, I think goes a long way. And also if you can stick with a doctor long enough so that they can start to see your health transformation. So you go in, you're morbidly obese, type two diabetic, and you're like, look doc, I'm not eating the ADA diet. I'm gonna listen to you about medicines and we'll check labs and I'll do all that, but I'm eating keto and that's just how it's gonna be. If we can work together like that, then that's okay. If that doctor is, you know, halfway agreeable with that, then I would stick with that doctor because what's gonna happen when you come back in three months and your A1C is now seven and you've lost 40 pounds, that doctor is not an idiot. Doctors are very smart and at one point in that doctor's career, he or she was a good student, right? They were a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes. That's the only way to get through med school. Then when you come back three months later and your A1C is now 5.6 and you lost 75 pounds, That doctor's going to go, what the hell is going on here? This person is not eating whole grain breads. They are not drinking fruit juice smoothies, but somehow they have reversed type 2 diabetes, which is supposed to be impossible. Maybe I need to Google this keto thing. and That's a very powerful thing because when a patient has that effect on a doctor, how many patients does that doctor have? Mm -hmm. 300, 500, 1,000. Now all of a sudden when the next person comes in talking about keto, that doctor's much more hesitant about uh, vetoing that because they have seen the literal transformation. The keto can do for patients. So if you can at all establish some kind of détente with your doctor, like I'll listen to you and I'll take a low dose statin, but I'm not taking you know forty of Crestor. That's not going to happen. But I will take a half of a five milligram every other day if that'll make you happy. And if you can establish some kind of compromise with that doctor, I think it's worth doing because in the long run, when you educate your doctor on the power of a proper human diet, you're going to affect thousands of other people's lives by your example.
0: I didn't expect that you to answer it that way, and I love that answer because it's a great way to actually inspire and educate the doctor. So yes, great answer. Uh, I love that. The proof is in the pudding. You know, you show them your results, you show them your transformation, and it'll open up a whole new door for them to now be more receptive to keto carnivore. So I love that. So speaking of lab work and doctors, what are some of your essential lab markers to get when assessing inflammation? So for just
1: for inflammation, I love the CRP, whether it's high sensitivity or cardiac or whatever, I love a a SED rate and ESR. I love a homocysteine. I love a ferritin level, which many people think is the preeminent marker of of iron deficiency. But uh, ferritin is way more than that, and not necessarily a good marker for iron deficiency at all. I just uh, am uploading a YouTube video about iron deficiency anemia right now.
0: It'll be it'll be done in like it'll be done like in three days, right?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Next Thursday it'll be uploaded. Yeah, exactly. But those are my go-to for inflammation. And there are several other good ones, but those are just the ones that I've used for a decade. And they they seem to work as well as any of the other ones. I've got a standard panel of labs that I'm gonna check on anybody that's really over the age of 35 because I cannot have a patient running around with undiagnosed pre-diabetes or undiagnosed hyperinsulinemia because those are the most dangerous things that somebody can be running around with. If they're running around with hypertriglyceridemia, I need to know that because that tells me so much about their, their metabolic health. I've got to check those tests. I've got to know if you're over the age of
0: 35. So when you, when you talk about ferritin, right? have you seen those who actually eat more red meat see an increase in ferritin or do you not see that at all
1: some do some don't i think it's it's individual because ferritin is a marker for many other things it's not just a marker for iron deficiency and right. and, and, and indeed if you if you suspect somebody of iron deficiency and all you check is a ferritin level and you use that to make your diagnosis that's idiotic borderline malpractice, in my opinion. That's inappropriate. But as you know, Ben, that's how it's done in most doctor's offices. If you have symptoms of iron deficiency anemia and you've got, you know, a microcytic anemia on your CBC, they're going to check ferritin level and that's it. And only when you make it to a hematologist, if you ever do, are they gonna go ahead and check a complete anemia panel, which includes many other tests and also several calculations to figure out, is this truly iron deficiency anemia? Or is this another kind of microcytic anemia? Or is this another kind of anemia altogether? Or is this occult blood loss? There's multiple things that can be going on. And just checking a ferritin and saying, yep, here's, a, here's an iron pill to take three times a day, is terrible medical practice.
0: You know, when I did my carnivore experiment, my C-reactive protein was 1.1 on LabCorp on day one, and then I did 40 days of nothing but animal fat protein. I did like a level two carnivore, and it dropped down to 0.5. Right, so that dropped down. My homocysteine dropped down. My A1C dropped a point, and I felt a lot better. I lost some body fat. My skin complexion looked good. Now my cholesterol went up my ldl went up but i looked incredible and i felt incredible and my inflammation dropped so if you saw that i know when i saw that it didn't concern me because there was the oxidation was going down if you saw that what would be your thoughts ken
1: yeah what you just described i would be like yeah i think ben's on the right course of action but i would also want to know what your triglycerides were and what's your hdl were. i suspect yours are both beautiful weren't they
0: yeah, the triglycerides dropped, HDL went up, and they were both in a good range, yeah.
1: Perfect, and then you had a normal A1C, and did you check a C-peptide?
0: Yeah, C-peptide improved, A1C was 5.2 on day one, and it went to 5.1 on day 40, yeah.
1: So any doctor who would look at that lab panel for you and look at your before and look at your after and say, this is a very unhealthy diet, your LDL cholesterol went up, you need a statin, that's a doctor who you should fire their ass. Does that make sense? Because you have literally improved every single marker of metabolic health known to humankind, but your LDL went up. So therefore, that's it. All bets are off. Take a statin and never eat that way again. You start to see the idiocy of that kind of medical practice when you when you're like when you figure out what a C peptide actually means and what an A1C actually means, triglycerides, HDL, all these things, when you, when you really grasp the physiology behind them. And you're like, and and you're worried about my LDL. Yeah, you're fired now. And I don't blame people for doing that because that's just, that's lunacy.
0: Yeah, it is lunacy. And speaking of which, so George Allen, who's in the Keto Camp Academy, I'm going to show his comment right here on the screen. He's watching. Dr. Barry, well, he's a big fan of yours, by the way. Dr. Barry, my cholesterol is elevated. My doctor is trying to get me to take statins. I refuse them. Will my LDL slash HDL levels normalize? I'm diabetic. I'm off insulin, just bumping up my metformin. A1C is dropping too.
1: Yeah, hey, George. That sounds like you're well on your way to reversing your health back to good health. If you've never had a heart attack, if you have a CAC score less than a thousand, then there's there's literally no research whatsoever that shows that you would derive any benefit whatsoever from taking a statin at any strength. So uh, I think the research is very clear about that. Now, if you've had a previous heart attack, or if you have a CAC score above a thousand then you might, might benefit a tiny bit from taking a very low dose statin. Uh, So George, here's how I like to explain it to patients and it helps them understand. I've got a shotgun in this hand with a 12 gauge loaded with buckshot and I got a BB gun in this hand, okay? I'm about to shoot you with one of them, but that's the bad news. The good news is you get to pick which one I shoot you with. Okay? The LDL is, is the BB gun. And the 12-gauge shotgun is an elevated A1C, an elevated C-peptide, elevated triglycerides, low HDL, and then uh, elevated levels of inflammatory, inflammation. Which one do you pick? So LDL may not be blameless if it's super high and you've got other risk factors, but I would much rather be shot with a BB gun than with a 12 gauge shotgun any day of the week. And I think that is the relevant description of the relative risks of those two conditions. If you are metabolically unhealthy, have metabolic syndrome, a doctor shouldn't give a damn what your LDL is. They need to focus all of their time and energy and prescriptions on getting your metabolic syndrome under control. If you have reversed metabolic syndrome, you are so much healthier now that I don't give a damn what your LDL is. I really don't. I don't care, especially I don't care what your total cholesterol is. But I don't care very much about your LDL cholesterol either because you have transformed your health by getting rid of metabolic syndrome, by getting, getting rid of pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, by getting rid of hyperinsulinemia. You have improved your health so much that an elevated LDL, in my opinion, becomes background noise. It's static. I don't really care.
0: I love that analogy with the BB gun and the shotgun. It makes so much sense. So that was super helpful for George. Thank you. Hey, I want to let you know about an amazing company who offers really impressive foods from nature. I'm referring to wildfoods.co. If you're looking for a one-stop shop for your keto supplements, keto coffee, keto nuts and seeds, and amazing collagen protein powders, you're going to want to check out wildfoods.co. Wildfoods specializes in real foods from small producers around the world. They're passionate about their ingredients and they have a powerful story. All their products do not contain artificial sweeteners, no gluten, no soy, no refined sugars, no preservatives and no fillers. They adhere to ridiculously high standards like myself, which is why I endorse So if you're looking for some keto protein powders, golden milk lattes for some restful nights of sleep, multivitamins for men and women, cacao powders, elderberry capsules for the immune system, wild Himalayan pink salt for your electrolyte balance, and much more, I want you to check out my friends over at wildfoods.co. As a listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, you will receive 20% off your order by using the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout. No space in between. Ketocamp, camp with a K at checkout. Get 20% off your order. Head to wildfoods.co. Use Ketocamp at checkout and enjoy their awesome products. Mary Anderson has a question here. TSH is very low. T4, free T4 is uh, 1.40. And Dr. Wan's a thyroid ultrasound. Should I ask for other blood tests first? So what should Mary do in this situation of hers? Hey,
1: Mary, I'm not sure what your doctor's looking for with a thyroid ultrasound, but it's not going to harm you. There's no radiation involved. I'd go ahead and get the the ultrasound just for completeness, but definitely ask your doctor for a complete thyroid panel, not just... TSH and a free T4. That That is an inadequate workup of a thyroid abnormality. I don't know what your symptoms are, Mary, so I can't really tell you which of, but I, I've got several YouTube videos that talks about the complete thyroid lab panels. Yeah, a TSH and a free T, T4 is not a thorough workup. You need more lab work check. And I'd go ahead and allow the ultrasound because it's very safe and it, it might yield some diagnostic information. Probably not, but it's not going to hurt you at
0: all. Awesome. Yeah, Mary, go check out the videos from Dr. Barry. We also have a new podcast coming out soon with Dr. Rebecca Warren, who specializes in the thyroid. So that'll be out on the podcast soon, so you'll get some value from that. Uh, One question here from Judy says, what else does ferritin test indicate? Mine has been very high in the past, like around 400.
1: Yeah, ferritin can be a marker for chronic inappropriate inflammation. and so, But the average doctor does not know that. And so they're gonna think it's an iron overload or some kind of iron problem. They're never gonna deduce that this has something else. And so for, for the average layperson, one of the most excellent descriptions of what uh, everything that ferritin does and everything that it indicates, just go read the Wikipedia article about ferritin. That's gonna give you, a, just literally reading the wiki article about ferritin is gonna make you more knowledgeable about ferritin and its metabolism than the average doctor is. I promise, I'm not joking.
0: That's awesome. I love that answer. Okay, great. So we'll put the link for that definition in the podcast notes. Before we wrap this up, Ken, what are you working on right now besides the book that you're writing? I know that's super exciting and it's going to change so many lives and I can't wait to read it myself. So besides the book, what is something that lights you up right now that you just think about all the time you're just excited to continue working on?
1: Yeah, I just love doing what I'm doing right now on YouTube. I've got a very limited face-to-face medical practice right now because uh, you know, my wife, Nisa said it best, you can either help 30 people a day in the clinic, or you can help 3000 people a day on YouTube. How do you mm-hmm. feel like you're being a more effective doctor? And I was like, damn, I hate it when she's right, right? But she's right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm. I'm the bulk of my time is YouTube and social media, making videos, doing live videos when I can, to trying to educate as many people as possible. Uh, through YouTube, I have reached people on every continent, except maybe Antarctica. I don't know. There may be a researcher who's watching <laughs> I don't know. But you Possibly. know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've, I've been able to help so many more people, and to I feel like that all of us together, keto is really becoming uh, mainstream. I think we, we're right on the cusp of the tipping point where it's going to become dumb not to have tried keto or not to be on keto currently. I think we're almost there. I think it's very close. And People need to keep in mind there, there are no lobbyists for keto. There is no marketing firm helping keto get popular. It's getting popular because number one, it works. And number two, after it works for you, you're eager to share it with your friends and family because you're like, dude, you need some of this in your life. I can tell by looking at you going or coming, you need some keto. And so I love that this grassroots thing has become a worldwide movement to help people realize health again, that they thought they had lost forever. They thought they would never be this healthy again. And now at 50 or 60 or 70 or even 80, they feel better now with keto or carnivore than they felt two decades ago. Dude, how powerful is that? How amazing is that, that that you and I get to operate in this space and help reclaim levels of health that they thought were gone with their childhood. They thought they would never be that healthy again. Well, guess what? Congratulations. You can be that healthy again.
0: And here's how you do it. I never get tired of doing that. Hmm. I love it. You're, amen, Ken. Amen, brother. You're so right. People are waking up to the healing power of this ancient healing strategy, ketosis, which is nothing new, just more nuanced. It's been around since humans have been around. So it's not a fad or a trend. It's actually a fact, it's a metabolic process. So I it's love the way. Human diet. It's the it's, original human diet. Exactly. So I love how you just empower so many people. You, you inspire me all the time. I mean, I, I love what you do with your YouTube channel. It's always a source of inspiration and also research for me. I remember the last time I interviewed you about a year ago, Ken, you had just hit a million subscribers on that day that I was interviewing you. We were celebrating. And now you're almost at 1.5 million. You're going to be at 2 million and, and so on and so forth. And the numbers, really? you, you'll get there. Um, why, why do you say that? Are you being shadow banned or something? No,
1: no. I I haven't felt any indication. I've had other people in keto and carnivore space say they thought they were being, but I haven't noticed any of that. But I have had several people who try to share my videos on Facebook say that Facebook would not let them share the video. And so I don't know if that's happening or if they just didn't know how to share or something, but I don't care if I'm being shadow banned or not. I think that if, when you're changing enough people's health, there's going to be so much word of mouth and so many people sharing every different method possible. Uh, good luck trying to shadow ban the proper human diet because I think people are hungry for that.
0: Yeah. Amen. Well, amen. So I'll put your YouTube channel in the podcast notes. I imagine everybody listening or watching is already subscribed to you. And if you're not, go subscribe to the channel right now. He puts out, You put out such great content on a consistent basis. It's really, really uh, respectful. I respect what you do with your YouTube channel. Where else can they go to go check you out, Ken?
1: Well, if you if you want to find me in a loving and helpful mood, you can check me out on Facebook page and on my Instagram page. If you're really in the mood for something snarky, then go check me out on Twitter. That's where I fight with uh, vegans and and Kiko nuts. You know what a Kiko nut is, don't you, Ben? And then, but I'm on all social media. <laughs> I'm on I'm on Clapper. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Gab Parlor me we and and, you know why do bank robbers rob banks because that's where the money is why i'm on every social media platform because that's where people are and my job as a doctor is to help people improve their health so why would i not go where the people are that's my job
0: Amen. I'm with you. Same thing with me. I was just talking to Dr. Benjamin Bickman uh, like an hour before your interview, and he was telling me how much he's starting to hate Twitter because of those conversations. People are like crazy on Twitter. So that's great. We'll put all of those resources where you're found on social media down below. I want to say thank you so much, Ken, for coming back to the show for the third time. Uh, I can't wait to see you. Actually, I I believe that you're also speaking at Keto Palooza in August in San Diego, right? Well, hopefully, if we're allowed to. If we're allowed to. So hopefully, I'm going to be there too. So I can't wait to see you and give you a big hug. We'll have a great time. I think we're going to be allowed to. So I'll hold on to that thought. And just thank you for what you're doing, brother. I appreciate you and uh, send my love to your family, okay?
1: I will do. And I want to uh, thank you. It's an, it's an honor to, to be on your show for the third time. And I really respect the work you're doing. I think that You're just like me, if you're discovered to be wrong about something, you're like, oh, I was wrong about that, and you change it and you improve it. That's how we should all be. There's no room in this space for cliques or for different factions. We're all fumbling around in the dark, trying to rediscover. What is the proper human diet for optimal health? And we should all be working together, not trying to alienate each other. And so I love the work you do and the the attitude and the the personality that you do it with. I think it's excellent. And everybody who uh, is a regular follower of you are lucky to have you in their life.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with the fun and knowledgeable and amazing Dr. Ken Berry. If you didn't listen to the previous two episodes, he was on the KetoCam podcast, episode 117 and episode six. Go listen to those right now after you're done with this one. We'll put a link for that down below in the podcast notes. Please share this episode with a friend. Post it on social media. And also leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference. If you haven't signed up for the free 7-Day Keto Kickstart Challenge, what are you waiting for? Head to KetoCampChallenge.com, secure your spot, and we are in for quite the ride. This is taking place on May 17th, and it's going to go all the way until May 24th. On Monday, May 17th, we also are going to release a brand new interview here on the Keto Camp Podcast with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Bruce Lipton has never been on the show before. I've been such an incredible fan of his work and we finally got him on the show. And on Monday, May 17th, we released that episode here on the show. So subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet and stay tuned for that episode. Have an amazing weekend. Sending you love, sending you light. I'll see you on Monday.